Hello and welcome to the ICANN Community Church Podcast with me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm. ICANN Community Church is situated in London's East End and comprises a youthful and diverse congregation. For details, visit our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com. But now, join us in one of our live services where I'm teaching transformational truths from the Bible. Okay, so I'm in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 7. Definitely won't keep you long today. Hopefully make a deposit really quickly. Uh, Matthew 7, and we, we're going to read, uh, we're going to read some Sunday school verses, right? You know what Sunday school verses are? There's certain verses in the Bible that, that Sunday school children get introduced to, okay? So we're going to read some Sunday school verses. Matthew 7, we're going to start at verse 24, and when you found it or can see it on the screen, would you say Amen. And so uh, that means we can't see it on the screen or haven't found it. Can we see it on the screen? All right. Say amen. That's right. I'm not going to do all the work up here. Come on now. Here we go. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. All the people said amen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be speaking into our collective destiny uh, about the house on the rock. The house on the rock on the rock, the house on the rock. So I want you to uh, pray with me uh, before we we unpack this, and I want you to ask the Lord for a personal revelation, because I suppose um, the whole sermon will have different meanings to different people, and I want you to ask God that it will have special meaning for you. Amen. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. How you loved me and cared for me. Speak to my heart now. Sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we need you now more than ever in these desperate times. We need a deposit of wisdom, understanding, revelation, light, information, direction, strategy. Speak to us, empower us, enable us by the word of the Lord. Help us to build our houses upon the rock. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, yep, we're getting there. Sounds much, much better. Praise God. The house on the rock. Wow. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rain came tumbling down. The rain came down, and the floods came up. The rain came down, and the floods came up. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Tell everyone your age. Go ahead. 
Now hands that do dishes can be soft as your face with... That's right. Tell everyone your age. Go right ahead. That's good. Anyway, uh, this is a great Sunday school song. Great Sunday school song, and it's loaded with, with lessons because it speaks about the durability, the sustainability of your house. It speaks to the fact of life that adversity, difficulty, uh, opposition, it's all inevitable. There is no such thing as a carefree life. It just doesn't happen. I mean, even if you're saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, got Jesus on your mind, you still got bills to pay. Bailiffs don't care about Jesus on your mind. Huh? Don't care. <laughs> because st storms are inevitable. And not only inevitable, but essential to your personal development. If, if life doesn't challenge you, stretch you, then you entertain uh, a, false, a false sense of reality a false sense of security, and you go out into the real world and you're just not ready for it. Which is why sometimes uh, smothering weakens a child's development and mothering will allow for uh, controlled exposure to difficulty. Uh, even when we send a child to school, we are exposing them to hostility and difficulty. And, but we're doing it in a controlled environment, knowing it's going to stretch them and challenge them. So this little song deals with the fact that the rain is coming. Even if it's sunny right now, the rain is coming. How many of you know the rain is coming? And even if you're in a sunny season right now, how many of you still know the rain is coming? How many of you have stopped looking for the conference that's going to stop the rain in your life? Because I spent many years as a young Christian looking for that event, that day that would end all troubles, strife, challenge. Um, but that day never came. And here I am, 39 years... <laughs> something like that. Here I am now, and it's still <laughs> seasonal. Things, there are seasons... There, there are these fruit-bearing seasons. There are these springtime seasons when things that were seem to be dead and gone just start to blossom and break through. And there's, there's summertime, but there, there's still autumns and there's still winters and there's still storms and there's still adversity. And so the key is, is, not, to, is not to pray against the weather. It is to build a strong house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the key is not to hope that it won't rain. The key is to build a strong house. And this comes back to a series we did last year on the tension between safety and strength. 
that actually we need to decide if it's our job to keep the church safe or to make the church strong. Uh, because no matter how hard we try to keep the church safe, the danger, the threat is usually not coming from outside. It's coming from something that's inside. So you can't build a wall to protect you from an enemy that is inside. You're actually only containing the enemy. So as much as we want to keep people safe, we have to be committed to making them strong because you can't be there all the time for everybody. And every preacher has to wake up to the reality that you are not the Messiah. You are not the Messiah. And if you want to be the Messiah for everyone, then you can fully expect to be crucified. You cannot fully expect to rise again on the third day because you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. We've got to make people stronger. And I think here's what Christ is saying, that actually the rains come to the house on the rock and to the house on the sand. The floods come up for the house on the rock and for the house on the sand. The difference is that the house on the rock stands firm and the house on the sand falls and great is the fall of it. So this speaks now to, to the foundation upon which I am building my house. The foundation upon which I'm building my house. Is it strong enough to withstand the storms of life? Is my house strong enough to withstand the storms of life? So I want to I speak into that somewhat uh, this afternoon. And I want to start by saying that a house, biblically, biblically a house does not refer to a building. Okay? Uh, a building is, is a useful metaphor or depiction for what a biblical house is. A biblical house is not typically a building. And the Hebrew word that is translated house is beth or bet and sometimes pronounced uh, bait. But the beth is the house of. So when you see Bethlehem or Bethel, it's always the house of. And the first house, the Bethel, was a stone. There was a stone here, and the name of the place was called Bethel, the house of God. It is where Jacob dreamed his dream and saw a relationship between heaven and earth. And so wherever there is a relationship or a connection or a conduit connecting heaven to earth, that is the house of God. And you'll remember Jesus having a discussion with the woman at the well, and uh, she said to him, well, uh, you know, your people say that God should be worshipped in Jerusalem. Our people say he should be worshipped in the mountain. Where is the place of worship? And Jesus answered her and said, the hour is coming, and it has already begun, when the true worshippers are not going to need a, a physical place. Because God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The place, the house of God, is the place where God lives, very simply. And where God lives fundamentally is in human hearts. Now, I know that some people struggle with the idea of having church in a building that was not consecrated for worship. Right? So, well, where's your church? Oh, it's the crystal. Well, what's that? I, I, I've been in the area. I've not seen a church. 
What do you mean by a church? So, you know, steeple, stained glass, you know, a church. Well, that's really not, not what, what the house of God is. The Bethel is wherever God lives, wherever God resides, where he abides. And where two or three are gathered together in his name, he says, that's, that's, that's my place. So I, I don't know what happens here in the rest of the week, but today, this is the house of God. Welcome to the house of God. Uh, the house of the house of Bethlehem, the house of bread. So the house was never just a physical building. Um, the house actually uh, actually means the family. Whoa, that's exactly what it means. So when the Bible talks about the house of David, it is speaking about the family of David. When it speaks about the house of God, it's speaking about the family of God. When it speaks about the, the, the house of Israel, it's talking about the family of Israel because fundamentally a house, biblically, is a household. Woo! A household. And it, it describes everyone that is held by the house. Mm. Love it. So it's people fundamentally that are the house. And when God says he's going to establish the house of David, he's establishing David's family his family. So now this begins to speak to his bloodline, his lineage. Um, uh, anyone related to David by blood is considered part of the house of David. Now the beautiful thing about the house is that God's promises, his provision, and his protections typically sit upon a house deep. God's promises, his provisions, and his protections typically sit upon a house. One of our problems in the modern world is that we have individualized corporate promises that are in the Bible. In other words, promises are made to a house. We've taken the promises and made them personal promises that personally apply to us as an individual with or without the house. But the truth is that all of the promises, all of the provisions, and all of the protections are resting upon the house. And you, you inherit the promise, you inherit the provision, and you inherit the protection in as much as you are connected to the house. Everybody say the house. Yeah, you have to be connected to the house. Uh, because the promised land was never promised to an Israelite. Woo! It was promised to the house of Israel. Which means that no Israelite could have said, you know what? These folks don't want to go in, but I want to go in. So I'm standing on the promises of God. And I'm going to cross over the Jordan. And I'm going to make my way into the promised land. No, you'd have been slaughtered. You'd have been slaughtered. And we sort of know this from the narrative. Now, when I start quoting biblical narratives, you know what to do. Act like you know. <laughs> just, word. That's what I did for many years as a young Christian, you know. My bishops, they'd come up with all these long words and all these biblical stories, and I'd be like, amen, oh, glory. I don't know what you're talking about, but uh, I'll study afterwards and find out. <laughs> but, but here it goes. <laughs> Forty years before Israel possessed the promised land, Moses sent spies into the land, 12 spies. The 12 spies went in, spied it all out, and then they came back to Moses with a report. It was a split report. Ten of them said, 
It's a beautiful land. It is really quite amazing. It's remarkable. It's like it's luscious. It's fertile. It's fruitful. It's amazing. It's everything you said it was. It does flow with milk and honey. There's a problem though. It's occupied by giants and cannibals. And they are so big that we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes and that's how we look to them as well. We cannot possess this land. We don't have the military might or experience. We are outnumbered and and uh, we might as well camp in the wilderness and make alternative arrangements. Well, of course, two of them said, uh, no, that's wrong. It's true that there are giants in the land, but if God is for us, who can be against us? We came this far by faith, leaning on the Lord. Why should we start leaning on the arm of the flesh right now? They said, let's go up at once and possess this land because we are well able to overcome any obstacle in our way. So you had two people ready to go and 10 people saying we're not ready to go. The 10 people saying we're not ready to go were believed by the camp because that was the majority report and so though two people were ready to go the two people could not go they had to stay they had to wait the two people were Joshua and Caleb and they stayed for 40 years because though they were ready the house was not ready and the promise of the land was a promise for the house and so sometimes, sometimes it's not that we're waiting on God to make a provision, but that we're waiting on the house to agree that it's our time to go in and possess that land. So it took a generation to convince the house that it was time to move. There are promises that God has made to the house that will not work for you as an individual. Therefore, you have to now persuade others in the house to go for it. Is that making sense? In fact, I'm going to say that this is not simply a biblical principle. This is an anthropological, sociological, and biological principle. Act like you know. It's yes, Bishop, word. Anthropology is the study of man and humanity. Sociology, the study of society and how we connect together as individuals. Biology looks at our chemistry and what we are biologically inclined to do. And I stop by to tell you that family, family, the idea of family, a house, being part of a house, part of a group that has shared values and shared commitments to each other is is not only a fundamental human right, it is a biological necessity. Meaning, you as a species are not made to function without a family. Help me now, Jesus. If, if you abandon a baby at birth, the baby cannot survive because as a species, we need to be loved by someone else in order to survive those earliest stages. Isn't that right? There are some species of animal that when they're born, they move away from their parents and they will begin to survive based on instinct. Human beings are not made that way. You're meant to be born into a family. You're meant to have at least a mother that feeds you, that comforts you, that protects you, that raises you because you're incapable of raising yourself. And that makes it a biological necessity. Biologically, I need a family in order to survive. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
All right. I call it a human right because if I need it to survive, then it is my right. I don't need to make an application. I don't need to I don't I don't need to debate this. If I need this to survive, then it is a fundamental human right. If I need food to survive, then food is a fundamental human right. Is that making sense? If I need it in order to live. Now, I am convinced that not only is the need for family in our in our sociology, it is so embedded in our biology that if you were to dismantle the family, all we would do as human beings is, is find a way to form our own families. I'm going somewhere pretty deep today. I'm just easing you into it. That actually if you dismantle the Judeo-Christian version of family, all that will happen in society is that people will create an alternative for that because I can't live or function without a family. Enter the gangs. Going somewhere here today. Somebody said, you know, we need to do something about gang culture. No, 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 you're not going to do nothing about gang culture. The reason is that there is a vacancy in our society, therefore our biology, by the collapse of families that it necessitates that a young man finds another young man, finds another young man, finds another young man, and connects together in a bond that you should have found in your household in the first place, but because that has been systematically dismantled, it's created a vacancy that your very biology needs you to be in connection with people that will provide for you, that will protect you, that will promote you, that are going to cover you, that are going to look after you. And so what you're seeing in society is the alternative family. And the alternative family exists because of a vacancy in the, in the ordained family. You know, this experiment is not working out very well for society, really, is it? Because the experiment said, well, look, the Judeo-Christian version of a family uh, is pretty religious, and we're, we're in a post-religious era, and uh, we want to eradicate religious influence from secular society. Therefore, we need to question and contradict the idea that a man marries a woman, has children, and raises them in a house. This is outdated. It's old-fashioned. We need to get rid of it because it is based on a whole bunch of socially constructed errors. And so there has been at first a covert war on the idea of family and then it became overt aggressively attacking it and attacking it ideologically and then attacking it uh, systemically by by making it advantageous for people to deviate from the script y'all ain't going to help now uh, we, we're actually going to pay you to deviate from the script you're going to get benefits if you deviate from the script and we're going to change this thing around and we're going to somehow frustrate the idea of family as presented in the bible and this was an interesting experiment that is now beginning to bear fruit because as the family has been dismantled systematically what we're seeing because it's a biological need and a sociological need we're seeing alternative families being formed and the alternative families that
that are being formed are not being formed in the best interest of individuals or of society itself. Alternative families in the form of a gang. Now, if you get rid of the gang, what do you replace it with? Can I get deep and crazy today? Do you mind if I get crazy today? The reason why you're not going to get rid of the gang without restoring the concept of family is that, is that even adults, adults are going to make a decision about whether they want their child to come home from school alone or with a group. And adults are going to say, you better move with a group, okay, of other guys because you need to be safe. Safety is like a fundamental need. So once you've done broken up the gangs, you just got lots of people walking around by themselves, creating more vulnerability for more predatory behavior. Lord help now. And so you're not going to get rid of that without an alternative or a replacement. I'm going somewhere today. Are you all ready for some alternatives? And we don't feel it in later life, but in younger life, you need to feel safe. Isn't that right? And you gravitate towards environments that make you feel safe. You gravitate towards environments that, environments that make you feel strong. You gravitate towards environments that make you feel valued. And you, you, you go where you're celebrated and not where you're tolerated. And you have a need to hang out with people. You need brotherhood. You need sisterhood. And so if you don't find it in, in the family, you very quickly start to find it on the roads. And as you find it on the roads, there's a price you pay for being part of that family. And you have to demonstrate your loyalty. Is that making sense? And so what we have now is these groups, these groups that are actually, actually crying out to us that there is a vacancy in the way we do society and this has filled that void for me. And so I'm in this place because there isn't another place. Is this making sense? And so, so we, we will have a problem attacking the symptom while ignoring the causes. That's good preaching, Bishop. Uh, we, we, and, and we're going to have a second problem trying to take away the, the, the mechanism uh, without understanding why the mechanism exists and replacing it with something that, is, that, that does the same job. Okay, It's like saying to a smoker, all right, stop smoking. Well, what's really going on in their subconscious is stop smoking and do what? Okay? That's what they're saying in their subconscious because they actually need something because there's a gap, there's a vacancy that's being filled even by the destructive behavior. You take away the destructive behavior, you have to find something constructive to put in its place. Does that make sense? Anyone ever tried to break a habit before? If you break a habit, what you need is something constructive to put in its place. You simply can't create a vacancy and wonder why your whole body is screaming to rush into that place to fill the vacancy. Is this making sense? And so one of the things that we have to do is appreciate the positives, the positives around something that seems to be negative. Because if you don't appreciate what's positive about it, you rip the whole thing out and you throw the baby away with the bathwater. 
Mm. Going somewhere today. What is positive about it? Well, actually, what is positive is that if the gangs changed their mission statement and made it their mission to create wealth for each other using legitimate means, they would be a phenomenal force in the world. Whoa, hallelujah. And sometimes what we've got to do is help people change their mission statement and change their methodology and their strategy without stripping away what in essence they fundamentally need, which is to be part of a community that, that is all for one and one for all. We need that. We're made to be that. We need to be in a family that's all for one and one for all. Can I hear an amen? Somebody. I know someone's looking at me and saying, no, we don't need that, Bishop, because I never had that. And as far as I'm concerned, the whole world needs to feel my pain. No, we don't. The fact that you didn't have it doesn't mean that you didn't need it. You needed someone that was ready to lay down their life for you. You needed it. It's in your biology. It's in your sociology. We're meant to be part of a family. We're not meant to be going through life by ourselves. We are meant to be going with it, with, through it with other people. And it's about understanding here that family is not just a biological phenomenon. It is not just a sociological phenomenon. It is a spiritual phenomenon. Whew. Yes, can I talk about spiritual family for just a moment? Well, I was going to anyway, so thank you for your permission, your consent. You're very kind, very kind congregation, okay? Um, spiritual family, spiritual family. You know, the model for the church is not corporate. Did you know that? The church is not a corporation. It's not corporate. It's because in the corporate world, um, it, it's actually quite cutthroat in terms of uh, results. You either get a result or you're fired. Does that make sense? In the corporate reality is that no one cares about you. They care about the profitability of the corporation. Does that make sense? Uh, in the corporate world, you are, you are dispensable and you are replaceable based on statistics. We can't get too close to you in the corporate world because we may have to let you go based on statistic. And when people try to run a church like that and it becomes a very corporate situation, it's missing the biblical model. The biblical model for the church is family. Everyone say family. Yeah, the church is fundamentally the family of God. Woo, preach up in here, Bishop. Which is why we're taught to pray our father. Hello now. Not our CEO. Not our boss. Our father. Somebody say our father. One more time. Say our father. This is the beginning of the Lord's prayer, right? The Lord's prayer. Is it not? Is that the beginning of the Lord's prayer? That's the opening thing. Our father. Which simply means, what is the opening, what is the opening word? Our. Say it back to me. What's the opening word? Now that simply means that it's not a personal prayer. It's not a private prayer. It cannot be prayed for yourself or by yourself. It starts with our. Which means in order to pray it effectively, you have to see yourself as connected with other people. And you have to want for them everything you want for yourself. In order to pray it properly. 
Because it's not give me this day my daily bread. It's give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. It's not personal. It's not private. It's not selfish. It is collective. It is family. And you have to see yourself in a family in order to pray that prayer effectively. Our Father. Because when you say our Father, you are saying that we are your children. Therefore, you are my brother and you are my sister. Hello, somebody. That's right. And so, and so, you know, how do, how do families do? How do families, how, do, how are families, functional families? I'm not talking about the dysfunctional families where there is abuse and abusers and the dysfunctional families where there's alcoholic and substance abuse and, there's, and there are nightmares in the family. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a functional family. What is it really meant to be like? Actually, the younger you are in a functional family is, 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 is the more attention you, t- you tend to get, right? You don't really find olders competing with the youngers in a functional family. God even said that to, to Cain. He said, where is your brother Abel? Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's the dysfunction of a family. The answer is you are your brother's keeper. The truth is that in a spiritual family, if someone is new to the faith, it is all of our job to support them taking their first steps of faith. It's not a departmental thing. It is not a corporation. It's not, well, that's their job, and if they're not doing their job, fire them. It's a family. Come on now. When you're in a family and there's a new baby learning to walk, you don't all step aside and say, well, that's mother's job, not mine. In the end, y'all take turns helping that baby to walk. Y'all take turns changing nappies. Y'all take turns washing dishes. Y'all take turns cleaning up. Y'all lighten the load and take the load off of each other. And that was God's vision for the church, that the church would be a family in which everyone found the support and the protections and the provisions that they needed to grow into strong, functional people in the world. Can I hear an amen? Now we're struggling with it. We struggle, we struggle with it at our peril because actually the only groups in society that have failed to create generational wealth are the groups that permitted the destruction of their families and the groups that said we may lose everything, but we won't lose our families. They survived Come on now. They survived hostility. They survived the storm. They survived and went on to become economically strong and powerful and were able to create legacies upon which their children's children could stand strong and tall. In other words, I'm saying to you, we have to get mad, mad, angry, like real angry. (laughs) My incongruence, big smile saying angry. We have to get mad and angry at these at the spirit that is destroying our ability to build strong families. We have to get mad at that because because I'm going to give you some metaphors for the family right now. But before I give you the metaphors, can I just tell you I'm not naive. I'm not naive. I'm not ignorant. I'm not inexperienced. Okay. The, the, the dream family m- may have eluded you already, okay? May have gone. It's, maybe it's not going to happen for you just like that. But, 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 in a, but once you have people you're responsible for, you need to realize that is your family. That makes sense? That is your family. 
in a spiritual house, we have to shift into the zone and into the mode where we care for, cover, support, uh, protect, build up each other uh, simply because we are related. Someone looking at me saying, we're related? Yes, we are related. Oh, well, yeah, well, it's kind of spiritual. It's not by blood. Yeah, by blood, we're related. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about your blood. Your blood is already toxic, right? I'm talking about the blood that Jesus shed relates us. We are related by blood. And on the basis that you are my relative, I'm going to cover you. This is deep. Y'all don't get this, right? I got preachers that don't get it with me. They're like, well, Bishop, that was really... It's really honorable of you to kind of support some of your members going through a hard time. I said, what? Because what is a really powerful <laughs> intervention into a, a, a conversation. What? Oh, yes, it's just the way that you just kind of stood by certain of, of your members. You, you think that's extraordinary? You, you, something, something's telling you that that's extraordinary. What are you, preacher? What kind of a creature are you? Oh, no, Bishop, I don't mean like, no, no, yes, you do. What kind of a creature are you? Why is this abnormal to you that a family supports his family? Y'all ain't going to help me. I said, well, I, not, to me, that's not abnormal. To me, that's normal because my model for the church is family. It's very, very simple. If you are in trouble, the one place you, you have to know that you can come to and know that you're going to be supported is in your family. You have to know that. I don't really want to be part of a church that is corporate because I need a family. Hello, congregation. You... you because you know what? Because you're not perfect, right? Because you're going to mess up one day, yes? I love the way some of you are like, no. <laughs> That's because you're delusional. These things happen when you're delusional. But what you're going to need is a family. You might, not, you, might not, you might not like everyone in your family, but you have to love them. You might not like everything they do, but you have to love them. Sometimes you love them, but what they do, you're like, you pull them aside, and you're like, what on earth was that? <laughs> young, young people will say it differently. They say, are you mad? Are you mad, bruv? <laughs> I feel that way sometimes. Sometimes I'm, I haven't even started my sermon. I see Isaac coming down the stairs. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like bruv. Bruh, <laughs> I haven't started the message. <laughs> but he knows I love him. It's as simple as that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you some metaphors for the family. Um so first of all The family, and I'm speaking about the spiritual family here, because I think there, there, is a, there is an idea in the church right now, typically coming from what's called church hurt people. You know the church hurt people? 
the church hurt movement. You know, church hurt me. Okay. And? I mean, if I told you my story, I got in church when I was 15. <laughs> Very different church at when I was 15. Very different. I got told off publicly for bringing a smaller Bible to church. I, I left home, forgot my big Bible, but remembered I had my small one in my pocket and carried on to church because I didn't want to be late to be called a backslider from the pulpit. Not innuendo, not innuendo. Brother Wayne, Brother Wayne, you, stand up. You want to talk about church hurt? It's the same sorts of people who don't understand why we love. We look back on our beatings and say, thank you, mama. Thank you, papa. Thank you. Some, some of us are like, you know. That's right. If I, you think I could be rude to my mother? She would apply the board of education to the seat of understanding and train up the child in the way that he should go. I love her for it. But there's a generation that just, you know, hurt. All right, cool. And, and there are some legitimate hurts. Okay. But coming from that is the idea that you can just be a lone ranger who does faith by yourself in your own space without being connected to a family. And whereas I think you can survive, I think you're robbing yourself of the power of a house. The promises of God that sit on a house, the the provisions that God makes for a house, the prosperity that comes with a house, the legacy that comes with a house, and you're missing the biblical model. So let me tell you what this, uh, the family is, the house is. Number one, your family is a field. Everyone say, the family is a field. That's, that's where the word husband actually came from. Did you know that? Husband is a house band. But it actually means a farmer. Woo. Okay. Gosh. Right. King James, right? John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the husband man. What does that mean, the husband man? It means my father is the farmer. Which really means that actually your family is a field in which God plants seeds of potential and if you are smart and wise and have generational vision what you will see in your field is potential and when you're in a good spiritual house people don't look at you for where you've been or what you've done they look at you for who you can be and the greatness that they see coming out of you and they speak to your future more than they speak to your past because what can we do about your past the blood of Jesus has already cleansed you from all unrighteousness I have no right meddling in your past but I have every right envisaging your future and encouraging you to go from strength to strength from from victory to victory and from grace to grace. Can I hear an amen from somebody? 
It is about potential, and it's not just about the father in the house seeing that potential. It's about everyone in the house and realizing I am in a field of potential here. I am in a field of potential here. There are the future captains of industry could be sitting on my row. The future captains of nations could be sitting on my row. A future employer for my son and my daughter could be sitting on my row. The finances that I need for my business could be sitting on my row. Hello? Listen, you know why some people are not clapping? Because they looked at the row, they said, no, Bishop. And no such thing as sitting on my row. You have to let them know that you have a future up in here. You have a future. Don't be, don't, huh? <laughs> you got a future. You don't, want, you don't want to be unkind to me. I might employ your, your grandchildren one day. Mm-hmm. I might be the person in the bank that makes the decision on your mortgage one day. So now we're looking around, we're seeing potential. This is, this is a house full of potential. I need you to convince the person next to you that you have an awesome future. I just want you to high five them and say, watch this space, I'm going places. Watch this space, I'm going places. Watch this space, I'm going places. I'm going places. Watch this space. Mm-hmm. I'm almost done. Number two, the family is a fortress. It's a fortress. It's a field and it's a fortress. It is supposed to be a safe place. Safe place. A safe from what? Well, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff out there that is antagonistic and hostile towards your faith and your values. There's a lot of difficulty that you experience throughout the course of a week. Some of you, your work environment is so toxic and poisonous. Some of you are Daniel, and you have already been sent to the lion's den. <coughs> You've already been sent to the lion's den. The lions didn't eat you. The lions didn't eat you, but we're still waiting for the door to open in the morning for you to say, oh, king, live forever. I'm still alive. There has to be one place on earth that you can come to and know you're safe here. Safe here. It's a safe place. Somebody said, Bishop, church I was at before wasn't safe. Gosh, if I, if I so much as put on weight, they silence me and put me at the back and tell me I'm pregnant. I need you to know something. <laughs> if you are pregnant, this is a safe place. It is. Now, the reason why some people are struggling to clap is because you still don't understand this is a family. What do you do when your little sister gets pregnant? What do you do? You kick her out, right? Is that what you do? You antichrist you. You don't kick her out. I'm not, I'm not saying what you wouldn't do to the guy, but you're going to look after the little girl in your house, right? 
That's how church is supposed to be, a safe place. You're struggling financially. I'm going to tell you something now. This is going to scare everyone that's involved in missions, all right? Because I love you all. I love all my missionaries. I'm a missionary. I'm going to help the world. But I'm going to tell you something frightening, really frightening, that I read in the Bible. I read in the Bible a verse that said, neither was there any among them that lacked, which means almost all the philanthropy of the early church went into making sure that members of the church were not hungry, not destitute, not naked. They were doing well. And what frightens me is the fact that we have hungry people in church while we're trying to feed the world that is outside of the church. And you need to understand that if we can't look after our own, we can't look after anybody else. You're only going to help now. Help me now, Jesus. We have got to look after our own. There should look, look, if someone's house is damp, the wires are, are, are out of place, plumbing doesn't work. From there is a plumber in the church. It is equally an offering to God for you to donate a day to fix a widow's house. Help me now, Jesus. It is equally an offering to God for you to go shopping for a person that you suspect may not have food for the week and just drop the bags on them and say, this is what the Lord put in my heart to do for you. And you're not doing it from the stage. No, no, no. You don't do those things to get credits. You don't go out shopping and say, hey, I bought all of this stuff for Sister So-and-So. Bishop, can we call her to the platform? No, no, no. Thank you very much, Sister So-and-so. Goodbye. We'll find a way to get it to Sister So-and-so around the back because we're not out here trying to embarrass anybody. Come on, somebody. Sometimes God has to show you that somebody's light is about to be switched off. Somebody's phone is about to be switched off. And without an office, a title in the church, or some kind of a job description in a corporate organization, you see it and know it by revelation, and you have the means to keep their electricity on, and you have the means to keep their phone alive, that's what being in a family is about, and that's what happened in the early church, ladies and gentlemen, because the church is a fortress. And guess what? If church became a fortress, it would become a very attractive place for people to be. It would be insane to leave it. It would be crazy to walk away from an environment that is committed to your protection. Is this good preaching or is this good preaching? Finally, finally, I love it when the music comes in when I say finally. When I'm being disobedient and going over time, the music just comes in in the middle of whatever I'm saying to tell me finally. <laughs> but finally, your family is your future. You don't actually have future without a family. And somebody said, well, Bishop, I, I've, you know, that, that ship has sailed. I don't have a biological family. But you do have a spiritual family. 
And it's your job now to realize that your future is in your family. And to mentor, cover, support, and coach the emerging generation. It's always ludicrous when people, older people, compete with the rising generation. It's pretty ludicrous, isn't it? It starts looking silly, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think I'm quite swaggadocious as a bishop. I occasionally entertain these delusions of grandeur. I look in the mirror and say, yes, Lord. But what a fool I would be to rip up my jeans and try to look like the swag that is Brother Louis. I start looking foolish after a while. Is it 50 plus year old bishops coming in with his tore up jeans and his. You're like, you'd be like, Bishop, it's okay. It's okay. You're cool. It's all right. So you don't compete and you don't criticize because you was it. Whatever you was wearing was equally disapproved of by the generation ahead of you with your flares and your platforms <laughs> some of you revealed your age and you laughed too fast with your flares your platforms and your large waistbands your six 12 button waistbands There was a generation ahead of you thinking, what has happened to these young people? What has become of them? And now you're one of them, one of the old folk. Still, still think you're young. Passing the same judgments on the next generation. Well, that generation is your future. And therefore, we have to pour greatness into them. We have to pour courage into them. We have to pour strength into them. We have to pour vision into them. We have to guide them as best we can, but we have to let them know that their future is very, very bright. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.